You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Friday the 12th of May. Great day here in TW11, final day of Chester's May Festival. They're getting through it just. Roadshow in the UK rolls on to Lingfield for the Derby and Oaks trial tomorrow. There's good racing at Ascot as well. And then York's Dante meeting next week, which commences on Wednesday. With all of that in mind, I'll be talking to Sir Michael Stout's assistant, James Savage, later in the programme about Circle of Fire, the Royal Runner who goes at Lingfield tomorrow and about Infinite Cosmos, who heads the market for the Big Oaks trial next week, the Musadora Stakes. Sandwiched in amongst all of that are actual classics that take place at Longchamp in the Bois de Boulogne in Paris, the Poule d'Essai des Poulains for Colts and the Pouliche for Phillies, the French 2,000 and 1,000 guineas to you and me, and Big British Hope in the shape of Isaac Shelby, who was the winner of the Superlative Stakes last year, the Greenham Stakes, on his comeback in emphatic fashion, and his trainer Brian Meehan joins me on the programme as well. Uh, The situation in America with positive tests and fallout from the Kentucky Derby gathers pace so fast it's very hard to keep tabs on it. Uh, We will be talking about the latest developments a bit later, but first of all, breaking news from Hong Kong that Sylvester D'Souza, the multiple British-based champion jockey now riding in Hong Kong has found himself in hot water and in the wires and with a big ban. Rishi Passad joins me this morning. Rishi, what's happening here? He's been banned for 10 months by the Hong Kong Jockey Club uh, after he pleaded guilty to a betting charge. Um, it relates to um, a charge that was also brought alongside Wagner Borges, who's also a Brazilian rider who's based in Hong Kong. And he was banned for 12 months by the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Um, obviously, those suspensions start straight away. Um, but they were found in breach of a rule that says no jockey shall bet or facilitate the making of a bet or have any interest in a bet on any race or contingency relating to a race meeting. Um, the news has just been emerging in the last few moments. And um, it, it's, ob- it's obvious because D'Souza has pleaded guilty that um, something has gone on. Um, and it was surprising that anyone would fall for this because you know how strict the rules are in Hong Kong, how at penal the the punishment is and how you know once you've done something uh, to contravene those rules you're going to be in big trouble yet um i clearly it doesn't it doesn't deter people from doing it and both Sylvester de Souza and Wagner Borges are both um, feeling the feeling the wrath of the Hong Kong Jockey Club right now yeah so the Hong Kong Jockey Club have now clarified that uh, Borges bet on his own mount young brilliant and de Souza facilitated in their words Borges being able to bet on that horse it went on to say there was no evidence before the stewards that jockeys Borges and D'Souza had ridden their horses in the respective race with any intention other than to obtain the best possible placing for their mounts and uh, D'Souza who has been in and out of the stewards room for various uh, transgressions relating to interference has now found himself uh, with a 10-month ban and that's a worldwide ban if there is news of appeal we will bring it to you yeah um he obviously he'd done very well in hong kong um since making the switch there uh to hong kong from the uk i think his uh his earnings of or the, the earnings of his mounts have totaled nearly 
I don't know, eight million pounds in, in prize money. So um, it's going to it's going to hurt him in the pocket uh, as much as anything else. But I, I suspect as well, the reputation for Sylvester D'Souza um, is also going to be badly affected by this. Well, in a different life, Sylvester D'Souza might have realistically expected to have rides across Europe this weekend. The classics take place at Longchamp on Sunday, the 2000 and 1000 guineas in France, the Poulain and the Pouliche. Flying the flag, as I said at the beginning of the show, for Britain in the Pula. The Colts race is very impressive winner of the Greenham Stakes, Isaac Shelby. That was the race you'll remember where Chaldean duck left at the start and got rid of Frankie Dottori. Look what on what he went on to do. Isaac Shelby himself ended up winning that race really quite impressively. I've been talking to his trainer, Brian Meehan, and asked him how he'd come forward since his prep win. Yeah, great, Nick. Yeah, everything is, um, everything's gone according to plan with him. Um, obviously he had a run in the Greenham and that put him right for Sunday so it's just been a matter of taking him over since then I went to the Greenham thinking that I only had Chaldean to beat mm. I mean it's you know it's it's tidy it's it's all good all points in the right direction and Isaac Shelby was really impressive that day he's very cool you know he's very calm always pretty relaxed I guess uh, when he goes out each day he's he's he likes company sometimes he's had to go out on his own if he's been traveling or something like that his horse enjoys another horse being with him um but generally you know he's a good eater he's quite a character in the box um but very calm real cool customer and uh, you made plenty of use of him at newbury would you be inclined to do the same thing even over a furlong further well we got slightly caught out because of the um of Chaldine being loose he kind of uh he sort of set Isaac Shelby alight a little bit to start with. Um, and uh, Sean had to just kind of work on settling a bit. So we were probably, you know, doing a little bit too much at one point in the race. Uh, but, you know, fine at the at the end it counted. I mean, I think, you know, he's very much a normal ride. You know, he's got good gate speed. So, you you know, you just bounce and you see and you wait. And Sean knows him so well. He's, he's such a good jockey. Um, you know, he's got a cool head as well. So he'll um, he'll just put him where he's comfortable. And a significantly smaller field than you would normally get in this race as well. Uh, he seemed to handle quite bad ground at Newbury okay. Um, yeah. And it's gonna it's not going to be very nice at Longshaw. No, I mean, I guess, you know, it depends how they get through it. You know, there's a big difference between soft, very soft holding ground and very soft wet ground. You know, I mean, you know, horses can get through it. I mean, there's always in these situations, it's, it's the horses that handle it. And, um, you know, you've got to wait and see how the race pans out in that respect. All I can say is that, that you know, my guy has won on good to soft first time out. He won on good to firm, his group two, and he won his group three on what was really pretty ordinary ground i mean it was soft but it was holding soft mm. so it wasn't ideal uh, and Sean certainly was of the opinion that he would be better on on on, on better ground but he's handled it in the greenham so i expect him to handle it on sunday um, and brian for you you talk about the horse handling the whole build-up well how are you handling it yeah no it's good you know it's like um you know i've been very lucky to have some amazing horses over the years and we've been at a high level with a lot of them. Um, you know, I don't have as big a string nowadays. We train 70, 80 horses. So it means you get a little bit more time to the individual. So, you know, I've got a really good team here. They're more than capable of doing the job without me interfering 
in the day-to-day running. But I mean, I got up this morning at ten to four to feed him before he went on his journey, which is great, you know, because you build up a relationship with the actual character of the individual rather than just being simply his trainer. All right, Brian, best of luck. Thank you, Nick. Brian Meehan there talking about Isaac Shelby, who famously in the green embraced in the colours of Brian's longtime friends and, and patrons, the Sangster family, a partnership put together by Sam Sangster, son of the, the late Robert. And the horse has been sold now and will run in the colours of Wathnan Racing, um, sold to the Qatari-based operation uh, in a deal, uh, according to Kitty Trice in the Racing Post, brokered by Richard Brown of Blandford Bloodstock. So that's an exciting new owner for Brian Meehan. Are they about to christen the colours in France with success in a classic, Richard, do you think? I liked Isaac Shelby. I mean, I liked him as a two-year-old. I must admit, I didn't think he was going to win any Guineas trial in the manner that he did uh, the, the Greenham. But that was really impressive, even though the ground was uh, very testing and uh, Caldine had that incident with Frankie at the start. But he's he's open to plenty of improvements still. And what about the 1,000, the Poulish uh, Blue Rose Sen, who was so impressive last back end and made a good comeback? One of a number of very talented horses at the moment, trained by Christopher Head, who unleashed a complete superstar earlier in the week. But he could yet uh, get a classic this weekend. Is it hers to lose, do you think? I think uh, I might have mentioned never-ending story on the podcast prior to her not taking her chance in the 1,000 guineas at, um, at Newmarket. And I thought she ran really well behind Tahira when she was checked in the Moigle, um, and I thought she would have finished a lot closer. I liked her comeback run. Um, uh, she, she's, I think, possibly going to be very good this year. I, I, I like her a lot. She beat Matilda P- Picot at, um, uh, at Leopardstown as well. So that's that's decent form in itself. So I'm going to be sticking with never-ending story in the French 1,000 guineas. There's no doubt about it. So I, I hope that Isaac Shelby, a never-ending story, would um, give me two winners. So, uh, it's, it's been a long time since I've backed a winner of a classic. So yes, we've got classic action this weekend in France. We've also got Derby and Oaks trials at Lingfield. The Derby trial switched to the all-weather. The synthetic surface last time was back in 2012 when main sequence was the winner. Interesting runner this time in Circle of Fire and the Royal Silks for Sir Michael Stout, whose assistant James Savage joins me now. James, there were a number of options for this horse, uh, including the Dante, but you've opted for the synthetic at Lingfield. What's the thinking behind that? I just think that we didn't really learn enough about him at Newmarket. It was um, it was a steady run race, and you know he we thought he ran really well considering the pace they went, and then he stayed. He really stayed on coming out the dip and up the hill, which was pleasing. And we just think the mile and a, what was meant to be a mile three and a half at Lingfield is a mile and a half now, and all weather. We'll learn a lot more about him at the weekend, and uh, that's his trip. Really, we we think you know. Um, how good do you think he is? He's very. He's a very scopy horse, Nick, and he's um, he surprised us the way he quickened up at Salisbury last year, and he we, we really pleased us at Newmarket. He's a horse that I think is just going to improve with every run, physically, as well as you know being more streetwise. Um, I think he's a very nice horse. He's a stakes horse. Just how good he is, I it's hard to gauge because he could stay. He could stay even further than a mile and a half. You know. Well, you'll have a pretty good idea. Um, Godolphin uh, uh, have got a, a good a good no, yardsticks, rather damning him with fame praise, but they've got a horse that's already proven to have plenty of ability in there in military order. Yeah, he he. I thought he was impressive at Newbury. I know he got he was out there in front and 
Williams deadly from the front, but the way he quickened and kept quickening through the line, he he's and he's well related, isn't he? He's um, so that's what I mean. I mean, we will we will learn plenty on Saturday, and you know he's he's going to run to his mark of 108 and even more the Godolphin horse. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's, um, it's exciting to have a real nice horse in the in the King's colours. You've got another horse in the Derby at the moment. Sir Michael has Crystal Mariner. How's he coming along? Yeah, he he did it well at Newcastle there the other day. He he's he was a bit more immature in the spring, um, so he he he's another one who will learn plenty on the job. Um, he's going to be a bit more slow burning, I think personally, Nick. I see him as like a, he could be an Ascot horse, like a King George handicap or a King Edward horse, that type of horse. And and from the the same family. You've got the Philly Infinite Cosmos, who still runs in the in the Rothschild Silks, and she's quite a short price now for the Musadora at, at York next week. Is is everything going smoothly with her? Yeah, smoothly. Uh, I mean, it was it was unfortunate that Sandown lost that card because the distance between races would have been so much nicer for her, rather than having run last Friday at Newmarket and then um, having to back up. Like, what would that be? So, sort of 13 12 13 days later but you know she she's taken it really well she's a great mind um she's just she's just a really nice filly from that Rothschild family I think being so short for the new store is maybe more reputation than what we've seen but um she's certainly we think a lot of her Nick she's a she's a nice filly that as you know with that Sir, Sir Evelyn breed um they only get better with age don't they and speaking of horses who only get better with age Time to reflect on a couple of the older horses. Uh, Baybridge is running the in the Ganay. Were you satisfied with that? Yeah, the more I look back on it, Nick, the more pleased we are with the run because it was messy and he was fresh and keen and you know and, and then he got set alight twice in the race for me and to actually pick up and then just get tired that last hundred yards. You know the two horses that beat him had had a run. Um, the ground was quite testing, which he likes. Don't, don't get me wrong there. But first time, first time up, we were very satisfied. We, we just hope that the, the the races he runs in are a bit more smoother. And now he's got the freshness out of him, he'll settle better. And the horse that everyone wants to see is Desert Crown Brigadier Gerard at Sandown next Thursday. Uh, is, is the idea, or sort of two Thursdays time, is is the idea? Is is that still the the way you're going to start things off this season? Yeah, that's the plan. It's a perfect starting starting point, stepping stone, if you want to call it, for a horse that's had a quite a, a long time off. Um, going straight in at the deep end would be the wrong thing for the horse. Um, mile and a quarter around Sandown. Hopefully the ground's decent and not too too soft, but it's too, it's unpredictable at the moment with the weather. So I know Andrew Cooper will do his best. And um, it's just a perfect place to start. Nick. He's, in, he's in good order. We're very happy with the way he's progressing. He looks great, and um, yeah, he's. We're very happy with him. And at the risk of making you bash your head against the wall, it won't have escaped your notice that everywhere you look, a certain horse's form is being franked in the Guineas, in the Chester Vars. It all comes back to a certain Nostrum who had to miss the Guineas. Um, what do you think in terms of when we might see him? Yeah, we could. We're just going to be very, very gentle with him because obviously you can't. We've missed the guineas now, and he's not going to make the Irish guineas or French guineas. So it's just a case of seeing where we're at in June, and you know it'll probably be late June or, or July when we see him because we've got to do it. We've got to do everything smoothly with him. You just have to start his prep again um, with that little setback he had. But um, we, you know, we were delighted with what we saw in the guineas, and yeah. um, it certainly. And at, Ch- and at Chester. 
yeah, yeah, of course. But when you see, if you've seen one of the duoist horses that beat us run well, you think, well, yeah, okay. But for both of them, and I mean, the coal horse ran a big race. I mean, to do what he did at so early in the race and then still pick up and finish up that hill, he's a, he's a serious horse. Yeah, I, I think he should nearly have won, to be honest. Yeah, I think he was quoted at Windsor there the other night saying if he can get cover in a race, and which he should in a St. James's Palace, they race a lot tighter, don't they, on that on that round course. And if Jim gets him in early, he's got a serious turn of foot. Yeah, James Savage there on the Lingfield Derby trial tomorrow and lots of uh, exciting times ahead for the Sir Michael Stout stable. That'll be music to your ears, Rishi, won't it? The number one fan. Listen to all, the, all those names reeling off. The Baybridge and Desert I- Crown, but so much depth beneath. Yes, it's it's not like the glory days, but it's great to see um, Sir Michael Stout doing so well. And he has got a lot of good horses to campaign. Um, I was hoping to see Nostrum a little bit sooner in the campaign, personally, because I thought he would have gone very close in the guineas. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, the Dewhurst form is working out so well. Um, and he was very much in the mix. Uh, but exciting times. Desert Crown, cannot wait to see him again. Baybridge, nice enough comeback run when he was too keen, uh, by all accounts. And I would hope that there are one or two good three-year-olds, as James suggests, as you you know. Uh, Infinite Cosmos was, was pretty good when she won at Newmarket, so I'm hoping that she might turn into something special. And what about this Royal Runner then, Circle of Fire? Interesting to hear what James was saying about the fact that he's a very physically scopy horse and they'd actually been surprised with the pace that he showed at, at, at Salisbury. Possibility that we're going to get a, a Royal Derby runner? Well, why not? Uh, I personally haven't seen anything yet so far, despite Arrest winning so nicely uh, in testing ground at Chester. I haven't seen anything that excites me for the derby I'll, I'll be entirely honest nick i'm hoping something emerges at lingfield or at york next week but nothing so far suggests to me that we've seen a horse that is a standout for the derby the betting suggests that anyway yes august rodan might turn into something amazing and live up to the reputation that he had at the start of you're, the season you're skeptical but... you were you were an august rodan skeptic when we did the podcast when i was in kentucky last week weren't you massive <laughs> yeah i mean it's a one I thing, say that one now, thing you yeah. managed to get right yeah yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't really think that the, I mean, I, it, the form in the Merton Futurity um, was all that. Well, do we call it the Futurity now? Are we going to just call well, it, it Futurity? The, it was the Merton Futurity. So <laughs> yes, it was indeed the Merton Futurity. Sorry, I'm being facetious. Um, I, I didn't think that was great form. Yet, nevertheless, you know, the reputation of Aidan O'Brien carries so, so much cachet that that's enough to make him uh, a short price favorite for the Guineas. But I think. That that run in itself is is obviously too bad to be true. So who knows? He might still turn out to be something special. But nothing else has emerged as uh, a live Derby horse for me. So maybe Circle of Fire might, but you know, there's a long way to go from getting beaten by Castleway at Newmarket um, to then winning a Linkfield Derby trial and then becoming a Derby horse. You know, so I, I don't know. Have you have you seen anything that excites you for the Derby? Well, I like I liked a rest before the other day. I mean, I don't think the other day told us anything much. Um, and and in a way, you, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't in an ideal world have had a have had a prep in in desperate ground running a mile and a half, as John Gosden said. I'd like to run a mile and a quarter on better ground. And I suppose they could have run him in the Dante, but they've got Epictetus in the Dante. I wonder if Epictetus will end up in the Derby and not in France if he if he well, goes he, well. It's got such an open look to it. Well, exactly. He may well do if the the quality of horse that we see 
heading towards the derby remains at the level that it currently is at. Mm. There's nothing that's emerging that suggests that we're seeing a horse that falls into the pattern or the template of previous derby winners. I can I can see. Um but perhaps something will emerge next week. But if it doesn't, then Epictetus' performance at Epsom is certainly on par with the best that's on offer at the moment. So the repositioned card at Lingfield tomorrow, now taking place on the synthetic surface, is to be sponsored by Fitzdares, who, of course, lend their support on a daily basis to this podcast and whose chief executive, Will Woodhams, joins me now. Uh, will, this is a this is an 11th hour sponsorship for the, for the Lingfield Derby trial card. How did it come about? Well, we never never say no to a, a last-minute bargain. It wasn't really a bargain, but um, I think the original sponsor was keen for it to run on the turf, and it's moved to the all-weather because of the rain, so we've stepped in and sponsoring the whole card. And really excited to do, because it's good to uh, get a look at some of the horses that will be heading to the Oaks and the Derby. It does seem quite curious that the original sponsor didn't want to sponsor just because it was on the all-weather. You're going to get plenty of exposure out of it as well. Have you really got a bargain here? I think so. Yeah, I, we've. They've been very. Um, Arena have been very good with us and, and rang us straight away and gave us first option, and so we just said yes on the phone. Um, yeah, no, we. It's well. It's going to be great visibility. It's on ITV, and it's a great card. And it's you know, um, I think there's the, the the trials. So it's really exciting to be there, and we're very happy to sponsor. Uh, did you ever have a look at sponsoring the Derby itself? Obviously, it's bookmaker sponsored this year. But cool. Caused quite a lot of debate. Like that, white, um, that white little uh, beetle in Top Gear that used to follow them. I always have an offer on the table at a, a discount rate for the jockey club, but they always seem to find a, um, a, a car company or, or Fred Dunn to sponsor it instead of us. But it's always on the table, the offer. Okay, and we'll remain so. And we'll remain so. It's sitting as a pile of used 50s on my desk, just waiting for that moment for someone to cancel a week before. <laughs> You never know the way the way the game the way the game's going at the moment. As for your as for your race, the Lingfield Derby trial itself, it had a significant result last time it was switched to the all weather. Yeah, back in two thousand and twelve. Um I can't remember the name of the horse, but it came it came second to just just second pit by Camelot two thousand twelve but Derby. What was the horse? I can't remember. The horse was called Main Sequence, went on to finish second in the Derby to Camelot, and then notably went to America switched to Graham Motion from David Lanigan and won the Breeders' Cup turf for the Nyarkos family. So uh, if if this year's Lingfield Derby trial winner ends up having a CV like that, you won't be too disappointed. No, not at all. And I suppose eyes on military order, which is currently 6-1 to one for the Derby, uh, just behind uh, August Rodin at fours. So, yeah, I think that's a nice horse to keep an eye on. Military order, and you could have some royal interest here as well in, in Circle of Fire. Have you seen any interest in anything for the Derby in the last week? Chest of ours, winner arrest, or... August Rodan since he was pushed out after the Guineas, or is everybody keeping their powder dry? I think they're keeping their powder dry. It's one of those ones. Well, let's see how the weekend goes and and move from there. But the prices haven't changed dramatically. Okay. Well, the podcast will head back to America next week to Baltimore for the Preakness Stakes, and the Kentucky Derby continues to reverberate, in in part positively, because of the the success, the very popular success of Mage and. Uh, all the people involved with that horse, but overwhelmingly not so positively for so many reasons. We chronicled the Safi Joseph controversy on the podcast last week. We spoke earlier this week about the leak to New York Times journalist Joe Drape that Forte, the horse who'd been withdrawn at the 11th hour before the Kentucky Derby, had, as a two-year-old, um, failed a, a test test 
has thrown up a positive test after his victory in the hopeful stakes at Belmont Park. That news not emerging until this week. It was confirmed yesterday in a press conference held by his owner, Mike Rapoli, who's also a regular on this show, trainer Todd Pletcher and their lawyer, Karen Murphy. The, the positive was for meloxicam, uh, an anti-inflammatory. Todd Pletcher said this horse came into our care on March the 25th, 2022. He was never prescribed or administered meloxicam under our care. Pletcher's been fined $1,000. He's been suspended for 10 days. And Murphy, the lawyer, said that the Gaming Commission has stated that two or three times we, i.e. she and her clients, had delayed the process. And she says that's a little bit shocking because it's false. I don't like government regulators to make false statements. From day one, we were on this. The delay is wholly on the Gaming Commission because they weren't prepared to proceed with the case in a professional, orderly manner. That's the lawyer for Todd Pletcher and Mike Rapoli. Um, Rapoli himself says, I've never been involved in a situation like this. I was appalled at the simple questions that I asked the Gaming Commission that took days or weeks before they could even respond. We asked for guidelines. They couldn't provide guidelines. He said it's disgusting, the fashion in which they did this. And then they leaked it to Joe Drape at the New York Times. He said he'd fight this case as long as he had in order to overturn this ruling. There have been other alleged positives from the same barn that have emerged over the last couple of days, more of which in a few moments' time, as I welcome into the programme uh, the director of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation, Patrick Cummings, for an overview on on last week's events patrick let's start with with much of what what sue has documented yesterday and then we'll refer back to some of the joe drape uh, stuff in the in the new york times um clearly there is a a huge difference of opinion between the regulatory body in new york where forte has tested positive and pletcher rapoli and their attorney as to who has caused the delay in the procedure, first of all, what's your take on that to start with? Yeah, uh, completely agree, uh, Nick. And this, uh, I'd say this this example in isolation is not particularly unusual uh, in American racing at present, and and basically for all the years past and, and in recent memory where many times the regulatory body, and, and at this particular moment when this race was run, and really races up until now, uh, the, the state uh, the, the, and their gaming commission is really the one that, that can drive this process forward and can be open and transparent, and seemingly most of them choose not to be. And that is um, more or less why it, it seems we have not heard about uh, this information until it was essentially leaked to the New York Times in advance of a hearing and has put the rest of the sport kind of pointing fingers and looking around saying, how is it possible that the the greater uh, sport did not know about this, in this particular case of Forte from a grade one race uh, that he won, that uh, dictated what subsequent race he went to and won uh, and uh, you know, the, the industry looks like its own worst enemy. So let's get this straight. We've been talking a lot on this podcast about HISA, the Horse Racing Integrity Safety Act, and the authority that is supposed to have sprung from it, and indeed has, uh, but to this point has not had control 
of a unified medication policy. What's the latest on that for those who haven't been following this Byzantine story? It was due to come into effect several months ago uh, and was delayed due to various court filings and, um, you know, just part of the overall attempts of the uh, horsemen's groups, their representatives, uh, mostly the National Horsemen's Benevolent Protective Association, uh, to, to delay it. Uh, that delay is due to expire May 22nd. And I think there is a very clear delineation here to be to be made, which is that once the Horse Racing Integrity Welfare Unit, which is a, a sub-branch now of HISA, once they take over medication control for all participating states in this program, which is nearly all of the racing jurisdictions in America, this same process, which has taken place in New York and we see in other jurisdictions, goes away. And a, a brand new process and oversight and reporting procedure will take effect. And, uh, you know, it leaves a lot of the players seemingly, you know, out on the cold and wondering what the heck has been going on and how things work this way. It is, in fact, due to change. And it's anticipated to change 10 days from now, Nick. Um, Unfortunately, yeah, some would say, Patrick, a couple of weeks too late, really, because we're in the eye of the storm again, rather as we were at the back end of 2019 with an unholy cocktail of fatalities, some of which explained, some of which unexplained, failed tests, overages, trainers being banned and all sorts of other juicy details yet to emerge, it appears, in the New York Times and elsewhere, rumours of you know, leaks coming from authorities to newspapers. It's, a, it's a, an unholy mess, as I was saying. And, and would you agree with me that those watching on from the outside, those are casual readers of the New York Times, they don't seek to delineate, like you and I do, between people who are rank cheating and people with complex medication overages that are going through a lengthy and complicated court process. I completely agree. Uh, internationally, The Economist magazine uh, just on May 11th uh, published a piece I thought was fantastic um, in terms of summarizing the very kind of grand oversight of this, which is that, you know, if the Kentucky Derby is the greatest two minutes uh, in sports, then it's probably the only two minutes that most Americans consume of horse racing. Uh, and basically, you need to have your act together for at least everything that goes into those two minutes. And it feels like we drop the ball on that, and and we drop it regularly, and there's really no excuse for it. Um, If you can't take the other uh, 364 days, 23 hours, and 58 minutes to prepare well for the the biggest two minutes in in the the sport in America, um, you're failing. And it certainly has that indication. And and I think it's also worth noting, Nick, that HISA is in play on other areas of the sport, on veterinary scrutiny, on track safety. They are, um, they are in the mix and and there, there is an element of this federal oversight that does exist already. And to be fair, this is really kind of the first big challenge for them. And they have not shown up, you know, from a communication standpoint, kind of take the lead and start talking people through the process, through the veterinary scrutiny, through um, the details of how they 
uh, examine horses, how their vets look at them, how they make references for, for scratches. And um, the, the scrutiny is not there. And it is, uh, uh, or rather, excuse me, Nick, the scrutiny is there. The communications is not, right? I, I don't think it's that the level of scrutiny is higher than it's ever been. Uh, the level of attention to track safety is higher than it's ever been. But if we're sitting here and it doesn't feel that way, then something has failed in the process. And I really think it's from the communication side of, uh, of all of this. All right, let's go back to Pletcher and the specifics of the Forte case. Um, it seems from Joe Drape's latest article as though there is a second positive on its way concerning a stakes race at Parks in Philadelphia uh, last fall. Um, what do we make of that and what do we make of the, of the, of the choppy waters that one of uh, America's most esteemed trainers appears to be finding himself in? Yeah, so you have the, the, the two cases now that, that Joe Drape has identified. Ray Pollock from Pollock Report has also found three cases for Pletcher at Gulfstream Park that have yet to be adjudicated from uh, this past uh, basically the winter meet, January into April, uh, three cases that have yet to be uh, adjudicated, uh, which seem to, to be some low-level positive tests for Pletcher as well. If that is, in fact, the case, we're looking at five overages, three states in roughly eight months, um, none of which, prior to this Forte case, uh, having been adjudicated. Um and you start to wonder if there's been this intransigence within the overall system, knowing that uh, the federal oversight is going to take place at some point. Um, it, it, it's, it's a proper mess. And of course, this is diverting eyes from something that had much graver undertones last week, which was the Safi Joseph case. Safi Joseph came on this podcast and I asked him the question outright. Are you giving these horses anything you shouldn't be? And he said he wasn't. And he couldn't understand why he'd been given an indefinite ban by Churchill Downs. And there's been radio silence on that since. Which is uh, d does no good for anyone involved, right? American racing has a long-standing history of opaque practices related to the oversight of the sport. And it is contrary to just about every other major racing jurisdiction Um when these matters, you know, doping and, and suspicious deaths are involved, you know, normally the, 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 the regulators want to get in and start, you know, shining some light, being formal about it, uh, putting it out there. And we, we just don't have that in our, uh, in our DNA as a sport on these shores. It's, it's to our great detriment. Uh, it's something that needs to be fixed if we want to both retain the confidence of our existing stakeholders and create new ones. Uh, we have not done that well for a very long time, and something really does need to change. You know, it, it, I don't think the sport has something to hide. Like I said, we our, our testing is, be, is better than ever to lower levels than ever before. Veterinary scrutiny remains in, incredibly high, and yet we fail to be open and transparent about so many elements of our sport Uh, all it does is, is hurt us. We have to find a way to talk about these things more, put the stories out there, and uh, and, and, and rebuild uh, confidence of everyone who participates in racing. Uh, and Patrick, although this, this podcast specially delayed to meet your early get-up on Eastern time, um, 
it, it seems very timely that I'm talking to you because, of course, before your current role, where you're based in Kentucky as director of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation, you, you were um, in a senior role at the Hong Kong Jockey Club uh, and, and understand their regulatory system very well. Indeed, you're quite an advocate of their regulatory system in which, um, in which Sylvester D'Souza has just found himself caught in, in, quite, a, in quite a big way. Uh, what's your reaction to, to the news we led with this morning? Yeah, uh, just woke up to it, Nick, and, uh, you know, it certainly is, is, I'd say it's surprising in the sense that, uh, that you know, the horse involved is, is owned by the club's own racing club, um, two jockeys involved, right, D'Souza himself did, did not seem to have any direct connection to this horse, um, and, uh, you know, to, to stamp them out, uh, both D'Souza for 10 months and Borges for 12, it just... Um, it, it just shows the seriousness to which they take these matters. It happened, you know, merely two weeks ago, right? So there, there's clearly a tremendous in, uh, attention, scrutiny, oversight, uh, monitoring that goes on in these matters, and I, I think that um, is is meant to to give everyone a, a, a real sense that that you know Hong Kong is looking out for you uh, and and the integrity of the sport at every turn. Um, it's surprising information, but if you had asked me, uh, you know, before any of this happened, what would what would happen if if a jockey or two was found to be involved in in betting or facilitating betting on racing? I'd say expect a a, a healthy suspension, uh, and the likelihood that they ever ride again in Hong Kong is limited. Okay, York, first of June is the horse racing industry conference, and some. Uh, pretty important topics on the table this time round. To talk about this a little more, I'm joined by the uh, Chief Executive and Director of the Racing Foundation, Rob Heasel. Rob, it seems to me that some of the subject matter is particularly critical this time round. W- what do you think will be grabbing the headlines out of this year's uh, Racing Industry Conference? It's particularly timely, isn't it, with the structural changes that have taken place in the sport and the development of the sport's um, strategy taking place and we were quite mindful of that agenda um, okay so the opening session is a keynote address um, from Joe Samara Smith and Julie Harrington which will update delegates on the on the organizational changes that have happened in the sport and also progress on the strategy so I think um, hopefully bring everybody up to speed and people who attend the conference will learn exactly what's going on what's going to go on um, and hopefully get a timeline on progress okay so because we've had an awful lot of speculation a lot of race courses firing shots across bows about premierization after the first of june we we as an industry will have a much clearer idea of what this is going to look like do you expect some real meat on the bones well i'm hoping we'll get you know um to be honest i think a lot of people are still unclear about the the way the governance structure has unfolded so I think to hear directly from, from those two leaders on, on that will be a great starting point. And then I'm hoping for a, an update on the strategy and certainly the timeline on it, yeah. And, and do, you, do, do you sort of, um, a strong arm would be the wrong word, but do you sort of say to the de- delegates, look, if you're going to come and speak at the, the Horse Racing Industry Conference, we, we really need something that is going, to, is going to advance people's knowledge and understanding of the sport. You can't, you can't just come and give a, 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 a party political broadcast on behalf of whoever it is, the RCA or the ROA or the BHA or the PJA or the NTF or whoever? No, well, I think this, um, I think this event really captured the imagination of 
people who work in the industry and people who are, who are wanting to work in the industry. So when we started it, I think six years ago, maybe seven years ago, uh, I think we attracted 80 delegates um, and we were kind of, it, it was a new, it was a new venture for us uh, and something novel. And we were glad that 80 people came through the door. Mm. Last year we had 230 people. Um, and this year we're hopeful to exceed 250. So, you know, we're very conscious that people are giving up a day of their time um, and we want to kind of give them meaningful information and, and give them a, an opportunity to go away and think about that and apply it apply it to their roles uh, on a daily basis. Uh, of course, we can get bogged down in the in the structural minutiae of the sport, but the sport needs to be outward-facing as well. I know that there's a, a, a large um, section of, of this conference devoted to, to sustainability and how racing can do, can do better in its commitment to, to the environment. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I think the whole... Every session after the keynote really is looking at what other sports are doing and what racing can potentially learn from other sports. And I think we're seeing more and more um, sports declaring their hand in terms of environmental sustainability, in terms of their aspiration, what they want to achieve, when they want to achieve it by, etc., etc. So we're really interested to hear from the English Football League about how they're supporting clubs and their direction of travel. And then we're going to hear from um, Ruth Dancer, who spoke last year, who's an expert in this field and has done quite a lot of work across racing, about some of the work she's doing and some of the work she's doing with York. Um, who I think are quite aspirational in this space. Well, look forward to it very much. 1st of June, York Racecourse and tickets still available. Yep, and um, if people go to the Racing Foundation website, there's a tab there that details all about the conference and allows you to book tickets. Great stuff. Thanks so much for talking to me. Okay, thanks, Nick. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Rishi Posada is still with me, and Rishi has a tip for you for today. The Chester Cup winner today, Nick, is calling the wind for Jamie Spencer and Richard Hughes. Okay. I will continue following this horse off the cliff. Okay, Today's think, the day. I think the Chester Cup winner is call my bluff for John Egan and Dominic French-Davis. Close. There we are. Um, two calls then. I would imagine <laughs> neither of them will be correct. Richie, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. Charlotte will be back this evening with a roundup of uh, everything that's happened this week with regard to what's going to happen this weekend. And then I will be back on Monday morning. Thanks so much. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.